0: If you have your Bibles, please open to Acts, the 15th chapter. The scripture reading before Mark's lesson this morning will be taken from verses 36 through 41. Acts 15, verse 36 through 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought best, not to take with him the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. There arose a great disagreement, so that they were separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches.
1: morning. Just briefly, for those of you who may not know Mark still yet, um, I have the opportunity to introduce you to a most gracious man. Uh, His wife, Dana, and son, uh, uh, Mark, and, or excuse me, Alex, and his uh, daughter, Beata, have allowed him to come to to be with us again here this week. Uh, It's his second time up, and uh, he came to work with us a little bit on our leadership skills and he is going to speak to us this morning on growth out of conflict. Um, it's our pleasure to have him here, and I don't want to take up any more of his time, but uh, we want to uh, thank you, Mark, for the work that you've done with us this weekend publicly and let people know that you've been a tremendous asset to us and uh, have been an integral part of, of uh, uh, what we're doing and where we plan to go from here. And so I'll introduce you to uh, Mark, here as soon as these guys get this taken care of. All right.
2: It's embarrassing uh, to, uh, to come someplace and have people tell you how great it was to have you when you know that you got more out of it than they did. Uh, I, I'm blessed, greatly blessed, by the opportunity to be connected to this church the last couple of years. I mentioned in the Bible class hour, uh, the fact that you chose to invite me back uh, is your own fault. Uh, the first time I came, first time I came, uh, neither one of us really knew each other. I had the opportunity to meet Anthony and Matt briefly, and uh, they heard a few things that I had to say and were under the mistaken impression that I might be helpful in some way. And uh, so they invited me here, and then they've You know it's kind of like people who uh who are involved in a set of destructive behaviors everybody knows they ought to stop them but they just keep doing them anyway and so maybe maybe you guys are the are the uh, beneficiaries of something like that i've spent the last couple of days with uh, your elders your deacons and your evangelists and it has been a blessing to me i'm encouraged i'm encouraged by their commitment to the uh, church here their compassionate love for all things that are a part of the body here and their conscientiousness in terms of uh, wanting to do what is very best those all start with the letter c that'd make a good sermon wouldn't it for those of you like that kind of thing um but i'm i'm grateful for the opportunity to be a part of the things that are going on here in this congregation and i'm also um i'm an observer of families church families uh and The noise before worship service is wonderfully deafening. Uh, People gathering and visiting with one another and getting involved in each other's lives and talking and laughing and enjoying one another's company. Uh, Fellowship exists here. In the truest sense, I'm confident. And let me just say this at the beginning, because no group of people, because they are people, are experiencing everything that God perhaps would love for them to experience. And if you're not enjoying the fellowship of this family, if your connection to this body is superficial and obligatory, there is more of a blessing awaiting you. Reach out or accept the outreached hand of other people of this congregation. They will love you and they will include you and you will be able to experience even greater blessings. When, uh, Matt and I were corresponding as we were together, Matt and Anthony and the elders were talking about all of this and kind of framing what our interaction was going to be like over this weekend. Uh, I sent kind of as a first a first to a foray, a first serve, uh, a set of topics that I thought we might be able to address. And um, when I sent him the topic for the Sunday morning worship hour, he wrote me back and said, uh... Do you mind telling me what you have in mind for that one? Because you don't normally invite a person to come in from outside and talk about conflict unless you've got a problem, right? Uh, you don't have a problem, at least none, none that I'm aware of in that regard. It appears that the congregation here enjoys a great deal of harmony. And uh, so that's not really what this is about. But there is a sense in which not only is conflict common, but it's even healthy. And what I wanted to do for just a little while tonight is to take a look at what the Bible has to say about the tension that sometimes exists in our world and even among us and to ask what good things can emerge out of that situation. Um, I want us to be able to experience growth in conflict. Already this weekend and even this morning in the Bible class, I noted the fact that we human beings thrive When we are challenged. Uh, We languish when we fall into a routine where nothing new or nothing demanding is really expected of us. Uh, We just slip into neutral and that's not the best environment within which we can really grow and become. So conflict is not only common but also significant and important to us. Now I want us to start off with an acknowledgement that conflict is sewn into the fabric of the human existence. From the very earliest of occasions, we see conflict be a part of the picture. When Moses sits down to write a record by inspiration of the things that happened in the earliest days of humanity's existence on this earth, we see conflict almost immediately. As a matter of fact, we see conflict, I believe, on at least five levels. First of all, there is the conflict between God and man. Uh, God says, there's one thing you're not supposed to do, don't do it, man does it. So we've got that conflict, the conflict of disobedience and the consequences of disobedience. We've got the interpersonal conflict between Adam and Eve. When Eve, uh, When Adam is called on the carpet for his disobedience, he says, the woman that you gave me is responsible for all of these negative consequences that we're seeing right now. And, of course, then the woman says, well, the serpent said, you know, there's all this uh, disowning of responsibility that leads to conflict. There's conflict between man and the physical world. Uh, The serpent, of course, exemplifies this. This is Satan, in that sense, not entirely physical, but he commandeers the use of a physical uh, specimen in order to accomplish his mission. Further, the consequences of this sin result in some physical problems as well, right? A man has been able to tend the garden and undoubtedly required a little bit of work, but God says one of the consequences of your disobedience is that you're going to slave away to try to scratch out a living on this planet. And the woman also is told childbirth is going to be more difficult for you than I had initially planned for it to be. They're just consequences for sin and put us in conflict with the physical world as well. Of course there is spiritual conflict which is really the big story in this situation. It's a way of showing us how the spiritual concerns that we have to deal with daily, how those things emerged into the human situation. So there is the conflict between man and Satan, a conflict which of course still goes on today. And then there is internal conflict within man. Uh, the, the frustration that we experience of not handling things the way that we ought to, for example, or the difficulty of trying to make good decisions when we have options that are pulling us in multiple directions. All of those things show up in this one fairly simple and brief story, a story which has tremendous implications on the things that will happen to human beings for the rest of our existence. Now, from that, we might get the idea, okay, conflict is bad. And certainly this conflict did result in some very negative consequences. But there are some misconceptions that I think sometimes that we uh, draw from our our human experience. One of these is that conflict is in some way or another abnormal. Now it's easy for us to get this idea because if there is an ideal that is presented in Scripture, that human beings ought to live together in peace, for example. Uh, Inasmuch as it rests with you, live in peace with all men. Paul tells us. And so if, if, if lack of conflict is good, then the presence of conflict is bad, right? Well, can I just tell you that that is a fallacious argument. It's a fallacy. I deal with this with people all the time. They say, here's how I do it and in any particular area. Here's how I do it, and I think we all agree that how I do it is right. And how you do it is different and therefore it is Wrong. That's a fallacy. There is often more than one way of doing a thing, right? It's not necessarily my way or the highway. Sometimes there may be multiple perfectly appropriate ways of handling a particular situation. What I want to suggest to you here is that conflict is not abnormal. It is one of the ways that God can bring about some very positive results. Conflict is not abnormal. Uh, There is a fallacy that conflict... And disagreement are the same thing, that somehow or another, any time that we disagree, that it's conflict. Uh, so it also might be said that any time that we are in conflict, it's the result of a disagreement, and that may not be the case either. And we'll talk about some examples of that a little bit later on. Uh, because we believe conflict is negative, we get the idea that we ought to try to avoid all conflict. And that's one of the ways of handling situations like this and i will confess to you the guy standing at the front of the room right now dislikes conflict and my natural inclination is try to diffuse it or reduce it or to eliminate it altogether but that's not always the best way of handling things we tend to sweep certain issues under the rug because the problem is there but there's no conflict associated with the problem and if there's no conflict associated with the problem there can be no legitimate resolution of the problem now, there certainly are some things that just need to be overlooked. There are things that some people do that just irritate me. And I don't need to cause a big fuss about that. I just need to get over it. And so, don't, I know some people that everything that happens turns into a conflict because they're irritated a lot. And every source of irritation must be addressed by some form of confrontation. That's not necessarily true. But it is just as true that it is wrong to avoid all conflict. Sometimes there needs to be conflict and I'm gonna point out some biblical examples of that in just a few minutes. Uh, further, there is the misconception sometimes that conflict is a result of a personality problem. Uh, I have conflict because I'm unreasonable or I have, con- or we always seem to be in conflict because people don't know how to get along with other folks and that's not necessarily true either as we'll see a little bit later. Uh, further, there is the misconception that all conflict is associated with anger. Now, the reason why we believe that is because it is so frequent. Uh, We tend to, because we have such negative feelings associated with conflict, we tend to become angry anytime there is disagreement. And so anger and conflict have kind of gotten bundled together. But in fact, there are non-angry ways to have conflict. Some of you have experienced that. Uh, maybe some of you have a hard time even imagining that. Further, there is the misconception that when there is conflict, something went wrong, and I've kind of already spoken to that. I'm going to argue that sometimes conflict is the rightest thing that we can do in a particular situation if it is handled di- handled appropriately, and I'm going to give you some, uh, some tips for that along the way as well. But First, I want us to think about what conflict actually means. And I think it will help us to have a working definition of the idea of conflict. One definition of conflict is that it's a situation in which two or more human beings desire goals which they perceive as being attainable by one or the other, but not both. In other words, if I want something to happen and you want it to happen, there won't be conflict. But if I want it to happen and you don't, then we will have conflict. Or if I want to go one direction... And you want to go another direction, we'll have conflict. There is a, a philosophical law called uh, the law of excluded middle. And the law of excluded middle says that some things are either one way or they are the other way. And we cannot attempt to occupy a, a, uh, some kind of position in between. Some things are either right or they're wrong, for example. Some things are either good or they're bad. Sometimes we've got to go left, we've got to go right. You take it, when you come to a fork in the road, you can't just take it. Uh, you gotta, you gotta choose, right? So there are situations where we be in, where we find ourselves uh, such that one person wants one thing to happen, and another person wants something that is necessarily opposite of that to happen, and we're going to have conflict as a result of that. Perhaps a simpler definition of this is to say that conflict is two or more objects aggressively trying to occupy the same space at the same time. We have conflict when, for example, two people want the same job, and one of them is going to get it, but they're not both going to get it, and they both want it, and so there's likely to be conflict in some sense when those sorts of things happen. We could rattle off several other possible definitions, but I think this gets, it gives you the idea. Conflict is either related to certain outcomes on which we degre- disagree, or is related to common values for something that everybody can't have, and we sometimes um, manufacture conflict by forcing one of these things to be perceived as the reality when it's not. But again, we'll talk more about that as we go along. My wife says I do that a lot. We'll talk more about that later. But we will. Some introductory observations then before we turn to the text of Scripture for our guidance. First of all, conflict is normal. It's not only common but it's normal. It can be right and good. It, it, it can be healthy. It can be a very good thing for us. And ultimately, conflict can lead to growth. We've already kind of affirmed those things, but conflict can also be an evidence of problems. It can be an evidence of an internal problem. I don't know how to deal with the things with which I disagree with others. Or it can be a global or corporate problem, something that we have not dealt with and it just keeps popping up. We've never come to a resolution, so it just this this dragon continues to rear its ugly head from time to time because that problem was never dealt with because it can be handled in unhealthy ways. We can do things which are not positive for us, would not result in growth, and those things can result ultimately in pain or even paralyzation. I've known of congregations, and I've known of individuals that cannot go on, they cannot experience any kind of progress because they are locked down by unresolved conflict or conflict that has been so poorly handled that it's now being avoided. So, how can we do better? How can we grow out of conflict? I've affirmed that we can, and some of you may be saying, I'm not sure you're right. Well, maybe not. Let's let the scripture speak to that just a little bit, shall we? I want, to do some, I want to take a look at what I'm calling some biblical case studies. I'm just going to take a look at some times when there were conflict in Scripture and see what we can learn from those. And I'll start in Galatians chapter 2. There are two types of conflict that I want us to think about. There is interpersonal conflict, a conflict that you might have with another person or another small group of people. And then there is corporate conflict. And I use the word corporate not meaning related to business, but I mean in its totality, the body as a whole. sometimes experience conflict in Galatians chapter 2 the Apostle Paul recalls a circumstance where he was not in Galatia but in Antioch and uh, he says when Cephas that is Peter came to Antioch I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned certain men had come from James and he was even with the Gentiles before that but when they came he stopped doing that he withdrew from them and separated themselves because he was afraid of those that were promoting judaism as a gateway into christianity okay so there are people there uh, and this was a real issue for the church in its early years and galatians was likely maybe even the first of the new testament books to have been written it certainly was fairly early and uh and so all that stuff still fresh on their minds and they're recalling a time when if you wanted to be a Christian, you were Jewish. You know, for the first ten years or so of the existence of the church, all Christians were Jewish. Uh, then, Gentiles began to be incorporated into the life of the of the kingdom of God, but there were a lot of folks who said, you know, you need to be circumcised, you need to keep certain of the commandments of the law of Moses, because after all, we're still serving the same God. He ought to want the same things, right? And there was some confusion and difficulty related to that. and. Uh, Peter had a great experience with the household of Cornelius during which he said, It's now plain to me that God is no respecter of persons and that he does not expect them to be like us. But still, problems and difficulties in him assimilating that information. And so he occasionally slides back and begins to side with those who are demanding that the Gentiles be Jewish in some sense. Paul comes. He is livid. How dare you bind on these people this burden that is not legitimately theirs to carry? So, Paul confronts Peter, one of the first of the apostles, a person who has devoted his life to the ministry of God. He confronts him to his face because he stood condemned. His own actions had surfaced his guilt. So, Paul condemns him for that and deals with it very, very directly. Here's an example of dramatic and obvious interpersonal conflict. Now, the question is, what is the result of this particular interpersonal conflict? Is there something positive that comes from this? Well, the answer is yes, I think pretty plainly. As a matter of fact, there are two positive outcomes that I can see from this text. The first one is embedded in the text itself. Truth was appropriately affirmed. It would have been wrong for Paul to have overlooked, as apparently some others were, because the Bible says that even Barnabas was pulled in by this in in Galatians chapter 2. It would have been wrong for Paul to have overlooked that because it was error that was being accepted and condoned and would ultimately have created a, a rift a chasm between Jewish Christians and Gentiles who were unwilling to accept Judaism in order to be Christians, and legitimately so. So the first thing that comes out of this is that truth is affirmed. The second thing, however, is that a relationship was deepened. And you can't see it in this text. You've actually got to go to 2 Peter chapter 3. As Paul is reflecting excuse me, as Peter is reflecting on the challenges of appropriately handling the Word of God, and he says we have a lot of difficulties because people are not, uh, are not interacting with scriptures and with the teachings of Christ appropriately. He spends most of chapter 2 condemning false teachers in a very dramatic way, so there's an example of conflict itself. But he says some things are difficult to understand as our beloved brother Paul has shared in all of his writings, and people who are untaught and unstable twist them as they do the other scriptures. Now note what he says about this guy who had confronted him to his face and exposed his guilt and condemnation. Did it alienate them? Quite the contrary. Peter seems to perceive from this that Paul cared enough to address this at great discomfort. We need to have sufficiently substantial relationships within the body so that we can approach people at times when they need to be admonished and handle that in such a way, that conflict, that someone looks back later and says, this person rescued me from myself. He is beloved to me because he was honest and transparent and forthright and compassionate. Conflict accomplishes positive things. Let's go and look at another example or two or three or four or whatever I end up with. Um, We read together from Acts chapter 15. Tim read for us verses 36 through 40. And I've got part of that up on screen right now in front of you, uh, you know the situation there. It's time to embark on what we're going to call the second missionary journey of Paul. And Paul and Barnabas have gone through, sent out from Antioch before, and have visited all these churches. And now they've come back to Antioch and they've talked about all that God has done and how he's opened the door of faith to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 14, uh, verses 26 through 28. And... A period of time passes. They're strengthened as a result of this. And then they got the idea that they need to go back up there again and strengthen the souls, follow up, continue to engage in those relationships. And so they're talking about this, and the Bible says in verse 37 that Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him. Now, this is not the first time we've heard of John Mark. We see him in Acts chapter... 11 when Paul is being held by excuse me when Peter's being held by Herod and the angel comes and releases him he goes back well he goes to John Mark's house they are close family friends but John Mark apparently went with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey for a little while and as we read together there was a period of time when his faith was shaken perhaps and he did not continue with them he abandoned them Uh, he deserted this is not just hey I've I told you I'd go with you for a part of the time, but now I've got to go on back home. I've got stuff to do there. This was fear. Uh, this was a lack of commitment, perhaps. And uh, he left. And Paul remembered him. Barnabas remembered as well, but he thinks about things differently. No big surprise that the son of encouragement wants to give old John Mark a second chance. Paul didn't think he could trust on him. He didn't think He didn't trust him. He couldn't count on him. this is important, Paul. He's doing the most important thing that he can imagine doing. And he wants to be surrounded by people who are trustworthy and reliable. So he says, no, I don't think we need to do that. The conflict escalated. They couldn't come to agreement on this. Uh, Acts 15 describes this as a sharp disagreement. Perhaps they're raising their voices. There's a clear conflict here. And so much so that they parted ways and they did not go together on the second missionary journey. Barnabas went ahead and completed the mission that they had initially conceived together and Paul went someplace completely different. Anything good come out of this? Well, again, at least two things that I can note that came out good and I'll deal with them in the reverse order of the way that I did in the previous passage that we used as a case study. First of all, The relationships were preserved. Yes, they disagreed. Yes, they chose to go their own separate ways in terms of their ministry. But this is not the last time that Paul and Barnabas will interact. Their relationship continues. They recognize that they could not agree on the best way to incorporate John Mark in their common mission. But they still maintained the relationship this did not divide the church uh, this did not prevent them from being able to enjoy fellowship in the future as a matter of fact later on we're going to read the Apostle Paul refer in very positive terms of John Mark when you come bring John Mark with you because he is very useful to me very helpful to me something good came out of that further the very fact that they chose to part and go separate ways meant that now there are two second missionary journeys, really, aren't there? There is the missionary journey that was designed to strengthen the souls, a task for which Barnabas is ideally suited. And there is also new territory covered, a task for which the Apostle Paul is ideally suited. Conflict did not turn out to be a negative thing there. I'm sure that it felt uncomfortable at the time that they were involved in it. Anytime you have to say, I just don't think I can use that person. If you're a leader, that's going to be, that's going to be difficult and awkward, especially if somebody is absolutely persuaded that that's the best thing to do. But they had a personal disagreement that did not become a corporate conflict. As a matter of fact, positive outcomes resulted. Now, it may be that there is nobody in this room who is experiencing any interpersonal conflict with anybody else in this room it could happen and maybe it is but i also know that i have known of times where there was significant interpersonal conflict and tension and day by day week by week those people came sat on opposite sides of the auditorium and saying Blessed be the tithe that binds. Does anybody else see a problem here? You know what the problem is? There is an absence of conflict. There is the presence of tension, the presence of disagreement, the presence of pain, but the absence of conflict. If you, if you I'm not going to extend the invitation right now. <laughs> We're not going to sing the song, but here's an invitation for you. If there's somebody else sitting in this room with you right now where there is tension and pain and hurt, can I recommend that you have some conflict? I'll come back to that in a little while. But let's talk about some corporate conflict. And again, I... My observation of this church, not only from being with you and being with your leaders, but conversations over the last year as the the occasion is merited, suggests to me that the congregation is enjoying a high level of harmony and peace. And I praise God for that, for your submission to his will, all of you, for his lives, for for your lives. But uh, it's still the case that sometimes we disagree about how to handle certain things. And those can either paralyze us or we can deal with it in a way that ultimately results in positive outcomes. In Acts chapter 6, you remember the problem there, right? Um, the church is a, is a multicultural reality, though at this time it is ethnically very singular. Everybody's Jewish. But remember the day of Pentecost when all those Jews were gathered there in Jerusalem? The Bible describes all the language groups And almost all of them are in areas that are predominantly Greek in culture and Roman in government. So they're culturally dissimilar, though they are religiously and ethnically similar similar to one another. This has caused a problem in the church at Jerusalem. A group of the disciples, the Hellenists, that's those people who are of Greek cultural orientation, are in a in, there's tension between this group and the Hebrews, though they're all Jewish. Those of Hebrew or Jewish uh, national orientation or cultural orientation. The conflict arises because their widows, that is the Hellenistic widows, are being neglected in the benevolence program of the church. Uh, so the problem has got to be dealt with. And so the twelve summoned the disciples, that is the larger group, and said... It is not right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word to serve tables. There's nothing wrong with serving tables, but that we have been specifically gifted and called to do another work, the ministry of the Word. Remember, there are no Bibles at this time. The apostles are the sole source of instruction for the body of Christ. It wouldn't be right for us to neglect that instruction for the sake of taking on this other work. We just can't do everything. And so, choose out from among yourselves people who are ready to take on a ministry like this. And he gives a set of descriptions, people full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, people of good reputation. And we will entrust this to them, and then the problem will be solved. Now here you have a problem that is potentially extremely divisive. Any problem which involves cultural assumptions is credibly uh, likely to, to uh, result in division. Church doesn't need that. And so they diffuse that problem not by pretending it doesn't exist, but by agreeing to participate in the conflict. There are actually four stages through which this conflict resolution goes. First of all, there's making the problem known. You'll notice that these Hellenistic folks who are experiencing this uh, slight here did not go gossiping around about it to everybody else. The first time we hear about it, it's taken to the people who are in position to deal with the problem. There's an exhortation for us, right? When you get mad about something or you feel slighted in some way, who do you talk to about it? Do you talk to somebody who can fix it? Or do you talk to somebody who will help you to expand the pain? I suggest the former, not the latter. Second stage is they considered possible options. They know we know of at least two. They considered. They considered the possibility that possible to take this ministry on for themselves, but that didn't seem quite right. So they considered another option that they would delegate that to others, and that's what they chose. Think about possible options for conflict resolution. Maybe there's more than one way to handle this. Weigh the options for the sake of arriving, which is the third stage in this kind of process, arriving at a solution that works. Uh, so we decided, here's, here's what we're gonna pre- we're, we're to present to the congregation. And so they do, they present that, they open it up. There's an open leadership model, which says we, we had several options here. This is the one we think will work the best, but don't miss stage number four. The Bible says, the decision found favor with the whole congregation. So they selected seven men with the characteristics and attributes that the apostles had described and they appointed them to that ministry, and we never hear another thing about it again. It worked because the congregation was on board, and they were invited to be a part of the process. There's a lot of wisdom in that. So, corporate conflict needs to be addressed, but it needs to be addressed in an open way that invites the people who are involved to be a part of the solution instead of relegating them to the spot where the only choice they have is to continue to be a part of the problem. If you do not allow people to become a part of a solution, they will remain a part of the problem. If I'm not part of the solution, I may well be part of the problem. So, by the way, you could take a look at that same four-part model. Go to Acts chapter 15. You say exactly the same thing when they were trying to decide how to incorporate the Gentiles into the body. At that time, they went through the very same process to do that and ultimately that conflict has positive outcomes. The Hellenistic widow's needs were met and the potentially divisive tension that they were experiencing was diffused. One more case study here. Acts chapter 15. Um, <clears throat> Some men come down from Judea and they're teaching, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, I don't think so. Uh this begins some discussion and debate. Look here, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension with them. No small debate with them. So the solution is, let's take this show on the road. Let's talk about, because if we're having a conflict with this here, you know, I bet other people are having conflict with it someplace else as well. So let's go where we can get a bunch of people who have some perspective and wisdom together and let's talk this through and let's think about what we might be able to do about it. So getting people involved in the conflict so that it can be acknowledged for what it is and so that it can be dealt with in an open and transparent way leads to positive outcomes and they come away from this saying okay this is a little bit different than what happened with the Hellenistic widows in Acts chapter 6 these people are more different from us and they are not Jewish at all. Therefore, it is not reasonable to expect that they will have to adopt some form of Judaism in order to be saved. So what are we going to do? They chose four markers of paganism, uh, eating and drinking of blood and animals that were strangled, which would still have the blood in them, which would have been an abomination to Jewish people. It would have been very difficult for them to, in good conscience, been a part of a body life that included those kinds of things. Fornication, which would have been associated, which is wrong, of course, anyway, but would have been associated with pagan rituals, practices like at the Temple of Diana, Diana in Ephesus where they had apparently a thousand temple prostitutes. These things are things that must be insisted upon. They form a, a groundwork for cooperation. And they said, it is not right for us to bind on them a burden that we ourselves have always had a hard time carrying, Instead, we will simply ask them to do this for the sake of harmony. This is, to some degree, a compromise in the sense that it asks people not to do something which they might could have done, but would have provided such a stumbling block that it would have been difficult for them to enjoy the peace and harmony that they need. Part of the way that we resolve conflict is sometimes to simply give. As these plates were passed around a few minutes ago, All of you gave, and I'm confident that you gave in a spirit of generosity and joy for the opportunity of being included with God in the exercise of His ministry. But there are other ways of giving. There's more sacrificial. And Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 tell us that we should be living sacrifices. One of the ways you function as a living sacrifice is to give and to give in. There are some things that are non-negotiable we have no right to compromise in any way these are things that are truth taught to us by the scriptures themselves but there are other things that are simply what we like to do or ways that we like to do it sometimes we need to give we need to give for the sake of us being able to abound in good works we need to give for the sake of another person's conscience in romans chapter 14 we see a significant discussion of the fact that eating meat sacrificed to idols was not inherently wrong but if it caused my brother to stumble paul says i'll never eat meat another day in my life what's he doing he is giving to resolve conflict all conflict is not resolved by deciding who's right sometimes conflict is resolved by giving and giving in for the sake of of relationship. Last question for today, don't get excited because it's going to take me a few minutes to answer it. Who is responsible for resolving conflict? And before I give you the short answer, again let's take a look and see what the scripture says about this because it doesn't make any difference what I say. Who's responsible for resolving conflict? Well here's one answer to that. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to his disciples about a variety of things, obviously, and he stops in the midst, almost, this is almost parenthetical. He stops here and he says, now listen, if you are at the temple, for example, and you are offering your gift at the altar, and as you're about to do that, you realize, you remember, that you are involved in a disagreement with someone that your brother has something against you now that suggests to me that you did something wrong and your brother is upset about it right so he says two things I got to call attention to one of them is our relationships with each other are so important that good worship cannot be conducted until those differences are resolved don't sing blessed be the tide until, you, even until you've gone to that brother or sister and sorted that out. <laughs> the second thing it tells us is that when I have wronged somebody, I need to go and be reconciled to my brother. I need to take the initiative when I have wronged another person. Well, that's a newsflash, isn't it? Of course it's not. I mean, you would expect that. So it turns out that the person who did wrong is the one who is responsible for resolving the conflict, Right? Well, sometimes that's right. But is it always right? Well, look at this story from Matthew chapter 18. Uh, If your brother sins against you, then you need to sit back and wait for him to approach you and grovel at your feet so that you can forgive him and be reinstated in your relationship. Did I misread that? If your brother sins against you, you go. You go and you tell him. This is what Paul does in Galatians chapter 2 when, Paul, when Peter is wrong. Tells him to his face. Uh, to his face does not have to mean in a belligerent and accusatory way. It's simply saying, you're not going to hear it through the grapevine if I, don't, if I don't agree with what you're doing. You're going to hear it from me. I'm going to approach you about that, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I've misunderstood, and of course if that's the case then that's going to be diffused in a gracious way because I never wanted anything other than right to be done. You go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you gain your brother. Now as this this text goes on, of course, we see a variety of other measures that may be invoked if that initial offering of peace does not work as it should and it's pretty clear that we're talking about a situation where a person is sinful. Uh, In Galatians chapter 4, those who are spiritual ought to restore such a one with an attitude of meekness, but it's just as true that any form of conflict must be addressed directly and that ultimately I am responsible for seeking to resolve the conflict whether I started it or not. You know, there's a sense in which we did not make much progress as adults. How many, how many times have you and one of your siblings or you and one of your classmates or on the playground or whatever gotten into some kind of tussle, and when you are approached about that, what do you say? He started it. And we're still doing that sometimes. We're still placing blame and holding people hostage to our injuries rather than acknowledging conflict as an opportunity for growth. Look at the beautiful way and very simple way that Jesus describes the resolution of this conflict. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You've reinstated the relationship. You have helped him when he is being swept away by sin. I am responsible for resolving any conflict in which I am engaged any conflict i'm not responsible for resolving your conflicts the other person is not responsible we've got we've got to let that idea go and accept responsibility for the growth that we can experience i hope today that we have been thoughtful about the conflict that sometimes exists don't mistake this because i ended with Interpersonal conflict or sin conflict it might Perhaps give the impression that that's the main idea and it's really not the main idea is that any time that there is a Difference there is a potential for a destructive resolution or no resolution or a productive Resolution and that rests on whether or not we will in a spirit of humility and meekness approach those circumstances for the sake of growth when we don't know what to do uh, let's say you're deciding whether or not you need to add on your auditorium when you baptize those 50 people that I talked about in the Bible class this morning uh, some people are saying I'm just not sure about that that why would we is that good stewardship to spend the kind of money that would take to do that uh, other people are saying it's definitely good stewardship because we need to create an environment where the people of God can come together and worship and and uh, So there's there's tension and disagreement there. That's an opportunity for growth. And I don't just mean in the size of the auditorium. It's an opportunity to grow in relationships with one another, to think big picture about what it is that the church is about and who we are and how we get our business done. In every area where there is tension, there is an opportunity for godly conflict that results in growth. If we... If we seek to avoid conflict, we lose that opportunity and we sustain tension. But if we engage that conflict appropriately, we have the opportunity to diffuse its, uh, not only its symptoms, but its actual existence and bring about something that causes growth in us personally, in the relationships that we have with one another, and in the body as a whole. I would like to urge us to think about resolving our conflicts in godly ways, taking the examples that we see here in Scripture, and we could have piled upon that dozens more, and look at the blessing. I call your attention to Acts chapter 6 again at the end here, uh, because one of the verses that I didn't acknowledge was verse 7. After this Conflict was resolved and the solution that was proposed found favor with all the people. The Bible says that they experienced, in verse 7, a great period of growth. You and I, in all of our areas, have the opportunity to experience great growth because God will be in it and with us when we offer ourselves to resolving conflict on the basis of what the Scripture here teaches. When I began this lesson... I acknowledge that one of the earliest forms of conflict is conflict between man and God. It existed in Genesis 3 and it still exists today. Does it exist within you? You see, your heart is the place where that tension resides. Have you withheld your life from God? Have you withheld from Him the opportunity to bless you? Are you His child? Are you in relationship with Him? If you are not, take one step. Remember, who's responsible for resolving conflict? Well, God has already reached out to you. He took that responsibility through Jesus Christ. And He offers you an outstretched hand of forgiveness and love. The conflict that is portrayed so beautifully in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son, is that old man gathered up his skirts around him and took off running to that silhouette he saw in the distance. He wanted to be back in relationship with him and our God has done that for us. Would you accept his invitation? Whether it's for the first time in faith, repentance, and baptism to have your sins moved out of the way so they no longer constitute a barrier or whether you want to come home or whether you have a conflict with another person and and the weight of that is bearing down on you. And you need brothers and sisters to help whatever it might be the invitation is Jesus's and it's open right now would you come and make that problem
0: known as we stand and sing together come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known
1: join in a song with sweet accord join in a song with sweet accord and the song.